it is Tuesday, November the 11th, 2000. No, it's not even November the 11th. It's December the 11th. We're closer to the end of the year. See, this is what it's been like around here. It's Tuesday, December the 11th, 2012. And this is the Idle Podcast, episode 75. Oh, dear, oh, dear. It's, uh, yeah, I, it, I, this is actually, um, let me first of all say, hi, Mr. Bill Dudney. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks yeah. for having me. It's very cool to be back on the air. It's great to have you back here. And we'll introduce you in a minute, but let's get on with the conversation we were just about to start. Yeah, this is actually, I think, um, I started podcasting in January 2007. Coco podcasting, anyway. Um, wow. With Late Night Coco episode one. And so what's that going to be? That's going to be six, wow, six years this January. Six years, five years. One of those two. I'm not good at maths. Uh, five years, isn't it? Uh, so actually, I guess if I just carried on calling everything Late Night Coco and just kept going, this would probably be episode 250-ish or something like that. So, wow. Um, it's, uh, so, but 75. 75 is a respectable number still. There we go. Indeed. Uh, we have no John today with us, folks, because uh, he's had... Um, uh, a family thing he has had to go and sort out this morning, so uh, just uh, all the best to John there. But of course, we're still going to give you a wonderful show. Okay, now I'm going to actually let you uh, have a chance to introduce yourself, Mr. Dudney. Sure. Yeah, so I'm Bill uh, Dudney, and uh, I do a lot of uh, iOS stuff. Um, I started doing Objective-C way back in the Dark Ages in 1988. It was the first time I wrote a line of Objective-C, and uh, I did a bunch of Next Step stuff, and then um, when Apple bought Next, I sort of lost lost the faith and uh, moved over to Java, and I did that for about ten years, and then came back to Objective C uh, Mac stuff in two thousand six. I bought an iMac and fired up Project Builder and said, "Dude, this is so awesome! I can't believe I've been away from this for so long." And uh, and then started hacking code again. And then um, when the iPhone shipped, I couldn't resist, and so I just started uh, started hacking on that as well, and uh, just been doing that ever since. You spent a time in Apple as well. You you you, you skipped that bit. Was that intentional? Do I have to now edit this <laughs> yeah. bit out as well? I mean, you were so keen on this stuff. You went and worked for the fruit company for a little bit. I did. Yeah, I had a blast. I loved my time at Apple. It was really cool. But um, I I keep trying to come up with like what's a, a good way to describe why I left because you know a lot of people ask me and stuff and it isn't. There's no simple answer. I love the job. I love the people I worked with. I loved my boss. I loved Apple. Um, I'm just too spastic to have a real job. I think sometimes I, I like to, uh, go off and learn core animation so that I can, uh, write a book about core animation and build that into my apps. And I like to learn OpenGL so that I can, um, help my son do OpenGL. And I like to, you know, and so doing all that stuff takes a lot of time and it's hard to have a real job when that's what you want to do. And so, you know, when I was at Apple, I always felt like, if I was doing that kind of thing, you know, spastically jumping around, learning new stuff all the time and um, uh, everything, I one, I couldn't write a book about it or teach people about it. Um, and, uh, and two, I sort of felt like I was letting everybody down that was depending on me to get my job done. So I didn't do very much of that when I was there. And um, it was difficult. And I also, I really missed teaching, like really teaching, being in front of, you know, a group of 25 or 30 people like I do with uh, Daniel Steinberg at the Pragmatic Studio. I just love that time of really, you know, in-depth teaching and watching the light bulb come on on people's, you know, people's minds. So 
Um, so those were the two two things. But I think it boils down to I'm just spastic. Well, I mean, you know, this is an interesting thing, actually, isn't it? Because, I mean, we everyone sort of, you know, in the developer community goes, ooh, Apple, get to work for the fruit company. And, and I'm sure, it's, you know, it's it's some really great technologies. You get to be at the cutting edge. You get to do a whole bunch of stuff. But at the end of the day, you are working for a corporate. Yes. Um, you know, a, a pretty, you know, reasonably big one as well. Um, even, you know, even in terms of people these days, it's not mm-hmm. just... Um, in terms of revenue and you know corporate has corporate structures and as you said you're going to have a boss and you know that boss is going to expect you to do the things that they need you to do not the stuff that you want to do and and you know no matter how cool the technology is and and what you're working on sometimes that's just not who people are yes yep so it was a blast i love it if anybody's thinking about going to apple you should go because it's it's a once in a lifetime sort of cool opportunity and, uh, you know, I mean, you've been to WWDC, right? There's just so many awesome people in the community. Um, and there's a lot of them at Apple and you get to interact with them. Um, so it's, it's a very cool time. Okay, let me ask you a question. Obviously, if I ask you a question you don't want to answer, because this isn't something we've agreed to talk about, um, then just feel free and say I'd rather not answer that. But obviously, you know, you're a family man. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've got more kids than I've got. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah, they're everywhere. Um, oh. Yeah, and, and I always get this sort of impression online that you know Apple is quite a work, 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 work culture. And is it quite hard for people with families to to sort of work in that environment? You know, I th- I think that it can be, but it a lot depends on. Um, I don't know what the right way to say it. So it's it's definitely a schedule thing. So during crunch time, you know, it's time to be there and. There are other times when there's slack time where you get to be with your family. But during crunch time, like for us on the evangelism team, it was definitely WWDC time frame prepping for that was, you know, you had to be at work because you had to get everybody ready, get their presentations ready, get, you know, everybody has to go through their rehearsals, et cetera, et cetera. So that time was really crunch time for the evangelism team. And we were all there because we wanted to support each other. We wanted to make sure it was the best show that it could be and all that kind of stuff. And so it wasn't really... A big deal. There wasn't. I never felt pressure that, um, you know, if you're not here, you're going to be in trouble. What I felt was pressure that if I wasn't there, I'd be letting the team down. But then, two weeks after WWDC, when everything is definitely calmed down, if I showed up to work at ten o'clock and I left at four thirty for a couple of days, no big deal. Right. So there was time where I could go hang out with my family, spend, you know, a long leisurely breakfast with them, come home early, go to the park, eat dinner and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't in the area I was in. It wasn't um, it wasn't around the clock around the year. Um, There were times. But there are there are certain people who just get into it and workaholics, probably the wrong word, but people who love what they're doing so much that they just let it consume them and. Um, I think Apple is a magnet for those kind of people because Apple is always pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And so people who are passionate about, you know, ripping the guts out of, out of whatever and rebuilding it to make it better or more in their image, uh, they're drawn to Apple and there is a community there that will support them in helping them change the world. But of course that takes a lot of time. So I don't, I never really went, ran into anybody who sat around and, and thought, you know, I'm going to squash that person for not being here late. It was more of a, um, I want to make sure that my team can take over the world. So I'm going to be there 
when I need to be. Um, you know, and so, but there were definitely times where everybody had more slack time, you know, teams, it was different times, but, um, where teams had slack time where they could go be with their families and stuff. So. Cool. That's, that's good to hear. Right. Let's, let's get onto the subject we're talking about today. You've just released a new book, um, uh, which we're yeah, going to have a, um, a good chat about. Um, it's uh, all about C. Yep. Um, and you've uh, you've chosen to write a C book. What made you, yeah? You know, what made you want to write a book on C? So it's it, it really comes down to. So I mentioned earlier, Daniel and I teach at the Pragmatic Studio, and also Chris Adamson and I in writing the iOS book that um, shipped a couple months ago with Pragmatic Programmers. Uh, in building that book and going through the course, we so often run into people who are coming from you know all all sorts of different background. Some people are, you know, doctors and lawyers and whatever, and they have an idea for an app in their niche, in their industry, um, and they don't know anything about programming at all. And so pointers are completely outside the box of what they've ever thought about. Uh, then we also would have people coming from a JavaScript flash type background who also have never encountered pointers or anything like that. Well, so what, what I thought about in the book and what I spent a lot of time talking, uh, thinking about actually over the last couple of years was what can I do to help these people who are afraid of that NS error star star at the end of so many method names sort of get the basics of what C is about so that that um, final argument on so many foundation methods isn't frightening and they know why they have to pass star star and why they should initialize it to nil before they call it and why they should think about uh, the return value of that method instead of um, the argument that gets passed in, and et cetera, et cetera. So many different things about how pointers work. And so I sat down and sort of built a plan for, okay, that's the knowledge I want someone to have. I don't want to go into all the detail of everything that there is to know about C, because that's you know there's lots of books written about C, straight up C. Um, so what I wanted to do was start with that as the goal, and then let's back up and see what what's the, the essential knowledge we need to understand how pointers work. Um, and that's what I wrote the book about. And uh, I sort of leave it with a teaser of now that you understand pointers and function pointers and the type system of C and how it all fits together, you have enough knowledge to understand how the Objective-C runtime works. And I sort of leave with a little teaser of this is the basics of how the Objective-C runtime works. Um, so that if you, you know, if a user or a, a developer uh, reads through the book, they get to the end, there's there's that teaser to sort of go deeper and start digging into the Objective-C runtime. And I think that that knowledge of how pointers work, and especially function pointers, is enough to make you really understand all the quote-unquote magic that goes on in UIKit and Foundation. So you're not one of these guys who says that you need to learn C before you learn Objective-C. You're quite happy if people go off and learn Objective-C. You're more coming from it from the angle of, okay, now you know Objective-C, Here's here's some you know here's something, the important stuff that will really help you to know about the language underpins this language. Absolutely, you know I mean for loops are the same in both if statements and so forth. So there's the hard part always it seems to me in teaching people the hard part is always getting people to think about breaking problems down into small enough chunks that you can teach the computer what you want it to do in a logical 
uh, focused way so that you don't write a bunch of spaghetti code. That's the really hard part. Whether or not you start with C or Objective-C or even JavaScript, Ruby, whatever, the so-called pointerless languages, um, it, it, no matter which language you start in, getting that intuition about how to break problems down into small logical chunks is the big, is the big deal. Once you have that down, learning the details is sort of uh, making you a more productive developer and debugger. And, uh, and so I'm really, I'm, I'm keen on people learning Objective-C first, or even what I tell a lot of people who ask me about, they want to teach their kids how to program. I tell them to start with, uh, that learn to program book from pragmatic programmers. It's just a fantastic book to teach people how to program because it teaches those concepts of breaking problems down into small chunks and teaches you enough of the foundation equivalent in Ruby so that you can write some real programs and be able to play with Ruby and build real programs and stuff. And so I think even if you want to write iPhone games or your kids want to write iPhone games, I think learning Ruby is a great place to start because it helps you get that foundation. I mean, that's the reality, isn't it? Programming languages uh, all you know, primarily follow the same sort of bunch of techniques. Often memory management might be a little bit different or something like that. But um, you know, if you learn to program in one language, picking up a new language isn't isn't such a problem so you know if you're learning start with the simplest thing to learn yeah that's my take too totally i buy into that idea okay so you entitled the book all the sea you need yes simon i did know what's the uh the book was called it sat here <laughs> on my desk in, in in front of me on the ipad simon thought in the chat room thought i'd forgotten the name because i just said bill had written a book on c but there we are i just wanted to prove him wrong <laughs> on the air um so i mean i'm just interested in that title i mean you've sort of explained it um but it sort of sums it up doesn't it you know this is all you need you don't need to go any deeper than this yeah and so um i don't know if you read andy matushek's uh blog or not but he has this fantastic uh blog post called top down and bottom up and he took an illustration out of go to lesher bach that was just i think sums it up about uh how people learn and it's so the idea is that if you come at a problem from the bottom up and the example that he gives in his blog post is about um, uh, a person, an engineer wanting to build a robot. And so she starts learning about electricity and how it flows through wires and resistance and all that kind of stuff. Well, by the time she's gained enough knowledge to be able to build a robot that can go knock down her Legos, She's bored to tears because there's all this detail and, you know, whatever. So she gets lost in the weeds of electrons moving through a copper conductor. Okay, well then if you take the flip side of that and you go from the top down and you build a robot out of Lego Mindstorms, then you have something that can go knock down the Lego blocks quickly. It takes you 15, 20 minutes to build the robot and five minutes to program it on your PC and upload it. And then you click the go button and she's accomplished her goal. But then if she continues down the path of building robots and gets more and more sophisticated, the lack of that underlying knowledge will limit her ability to think outside the box when she gets down the road, right? Well, so I look at programming in the same way. So like I said earlier, you start with something really simple so that you can accomplish a goal so that you see, or, or not so that you see, but so that you can start to build the passion that makes it possible for you to, um, you know, sort of uh, turn your passion into a drive to dig deeper. Okay, so you do the, the top-down bits, then 
as you gain that passion, it will drive understanding the bottom up piece where you have to go and learn about electrons going through copper wires, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes loads of sense. Just so people uh, will post a link to that um, Absolutely. Um, a blog post in, in, in the show notes. Um, okay, I mean, let's dig into some C then. Okay, sure. let's dig into the areas that you've, you've chosen. Now, you cover four areas in, in the book, types, pointers and arrays, functions, and function pointers. Um, obviously, we're not going to troll through the book page by page and, and give all the detail, because firstly, that will be incredibly dull, and secondly, it will kill your book sales and waste all the time that you've, uh, you've spent writing it. So, um, you know, just give us an overview. You wrote, you wrote the types you, well, you put the type section first in the book. Um, you know, just give an ov- overview of why you chose C types to be part of part of this book and, and what it was you were trying to get across with it. Sure. Yeah. So the so the the big picture, the reason that I put the stuff in the order that I did was sort of thinking through again that end goal of I want you to understand how pointers work and what they're all about and why they're important. And why, you know, why, why do we have pointers to objects rather than just an S-Array? Why do we have to use an S-Array star? Why do we do that? And so in order to get there, though, I think you have to understand the basic type system that sits behind both Objective-C and C. And it's the, same, it's the same basic type system, floats and doubles and all that kind of stuff. And I talk through why you see in Foundation and Core Graphics, why you see CG point rather than, or CG float, I should say, rather than double. And so I go through and explain how all that stuff works and why it's there. And then from that, I go into sort of your first foray into what a pointer is in chapter two, and I start talking about pointers and arrays. And it is a, a discussion of the beginnings of pointers by using arrays to describe how pointers really work. And so I talk through like a flat C array, not a not an NS array, but a C array where you have, you know, int square bracket four, close square bracket. Talk about how all those things work. We do a couple of little simple examples and so forth. And then when we get into uh, chapter three, where we start talking about functions, that's really the driver behind why we have pointers in the first place in C. Um, or at least I use that as the motivation behind it. Um, and so, it, and I, I was thinking the whole time I was doing this book about that top-down, bottom-up approach is let's talk about some detail with the types and then let's go to some motivation behind pointers and arrays and how they are used to make a real program. Then let's bounce back down to, to functions, which has some more technical detail or whatever. Um, and then I sprinkle in there some, some higher level motivation, some of the top down stuff. And then I did the same thing in the function pointers. So once you understand what a function is and you know what a pointer is, then you can start talking about this really cool idea of a function pointer where you can have a variable that points to a chunk of functionality. Now in, uh, in Objective-C, we now have blocks, which give you a very similar thing. And it's interesting listening excuse me, listening to uh, the WWDC talks is when blocks were first announced, they spent a bit of time talking about how um, blocks were very similar to function pointers, but they capture the scope. Well, if you've never done anything with a function pointer, then that analogy makes no sense to you. And so that was another sort of uh, uh, sidebar type note that I make in that function pointer chapter is, um, you know, they're very similar 
they uh, but they don't the function pointers can't capture scope because it's just a variable that points to some chunk of executable code. So that's sort of the layout and the idea behind how I put together the four chapters that are in there. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's. I mean, now you've just said that, and you'd explained at the beginning, but really, you know, you're taking people on on a journey that you said that this is about is more about understanding the environment in which you've been working um, in order to appreciate it and maybe squeeze more more from it. So this isn't really a um, you know, this isn't a book that someone's going to go and buy to learn C from because you you don't cover the whole thing in any way at all. Um, but it's yeah, you know, so this is more for people who are interested in the in the background information, who who love the details, who mm-hmm. want to know how this whole thing hangs together. Um, you know, it's not just a reference book. This is a this isn't a book of exploration. Yes, exactly, and that's a great point. So in the in the preface, what I say is, I know everybody doesn't learn the same way I do. I don't expect everybody to be able to you know get everything the same way that I do. So I try in the book to sort of lay out different approaches to the same piece of information. So I captured different learning styles in there. But I also, I learned best by tinkering. When I was a kid, I took every toy that I ever got apart, no matter how expensive or digital it was, I still had to look at the motherboard and, you know, even break it sometimes to see what was in the middle of the motherboard. Um, and I'm the same way with Objective-C or Ruby on Rails or any of the other things that I've sort of dug into is I want to know how does it really work. I don't, you know, I, I, I want to be productive. I want to get stuff done, but I also want to dig in. And that's very much what this book is about. And it really goes back to my experience teaching um, at the Pragmatic Studio with Daniel is I run into these, to these people all the time who are sort of, and what's the right, it's not grasping for straws, but they're sort of, there's pieces of knowledge from whatever they did before, be it, you know, JavaScript or Java or C sharp or whatever. There's pieces of that knowledge and it's, there's islands of understanding and there's no bridge in their mind yet to bring those, not those islands of understanding together into some cohesive thing that will make them a very productive Objective-C programmer. Uh, and that's another thing I tried to say in the preface is, look, you can be, a productive Objective-C programmer with not ever understanding C. You can go out to Stack Overflow and figure out the bits, you know, even just copy and paste stuff from Stack Overflow, which I always tell people not to do. But you can do that and still be productive and ship an app. It's when you understand what's really going on, it's no longer a mystery what a seg fault means or, you know, all that other stuff that can go wrong that people so often just hit clean all and try again and see if it crashes again, right? People, if you understand what's happening, that stuff isn't a mystery to you anymore. And that's what, what, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I like to know. And that's the kind of stuff that I really like to really wanted to explore in this book is one, is there a market for that kind of book? Because um, I would love to write those kinds of books. Um, But then it's also, uh, you know, I was hoping that other people would get a deeper understanding of the stuff they do every day by uh, you know, by being able to read this book. Okay, I mean, I think we've explained, it's described what's in the book um, reasonably well. And I think you know, just to keep to keep describing it, you know, would be um, 
uh, becoming very repetitive in, in a way. And so I want to move on to something a little bit about the process you use to publish the book and, and, and address some of the things you've just said there. But before I do that, um, I just want to give you another opportunity just to, you know, just to maybe pull anything else from, out from the book that you would like to tell people about now um, before we move on. No, I mean, I think we've covered it pretty well. And it's, you know, it's, I had someone ask me, is this book for me? I've never programmed before. And it's not a book for everybody. It's really a book intended for people who are Objective-C programmers who want to know what that NS error star star thing is and how it works and why it's there and all that kind of stuff. So um, if, if you're comfortable with pointers and you've written a lot of C code, this book is not the book for you. If you are a brand new programmer and you've never done any programming before, this is not the book for you. But if you're an Objective-C programmer and you want to be more productive at understanding what's really going on and therefore become more productive, then this is a book that will hopefully help you. And if you are looking to learn C from total scratch... Um, as opposed to coming from Objective C or whatever else, um, the chat room have pointed out the Masters of the Void um, website, which we'll put in the show notes as well from Uli Kostura. So we'll uh, uh, we'll we'll send you along there as well. Okay, so um, I'm just before I'm going to pick up on the most important question about this entire book. That this seems to be where the chat room have um, uh, focused is the cover. <laughs> um, people people seem to like it. Uh, they 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 think there's a little bit of a K and R C book throwback going on there. Um, now, uh, Joshua Nozai, who's in the chat room, who has published books himself, and you've published books yourself through through other people. You know, would normally say a publisher would normally um, deal with uh, a cover, but you self publish this book. So, you know, what's the story behind the cover? Where did it come from? Yeah, so I, um, through all of my you know travels and publishing through pragmatic programmers and all that stuff, I've met a few people who are in the publishing industry, and I had a friend who was a uh, acquiring editor, and I just pinged him on email and said, "Hey, I really need a cover. I want to make sure it's good. Could you introduce me to someone?" And he passed me on to a buddy of his that's in Boston that does uh, cover design for books, and he and I emailed back and forth several times. Um, and he seemed like the right kind of guy. He understood where I was headed, what I wanted to do with this, with the book and the series that I want to write. And, um, he came up with this design and about three or four other designs as well. And we sort of talked back and forth through those three or four different designs. And this is the one we settled on. And, um, there's a couple of reasons behind why, um, I really like this design and there's a bit of a K and R thing, you know, you look at it and it's kind of reminiscent of that. And I love the simplicity of it. Um, I also like that the, the sort of the red pill thing, I think it flows well on this cover. It's subtle. It's not in your face, but it flows well, especially with the C sort of jumping out in that same red color. And the idea is, right, I always have these grand plans and sometimes I'm able to execute and sometimes not. But the idea is, is what I'd really like to do is write an entire series of books that dives into details of stuff. Like eventually I want to write an Objective-C runtime book, help people understand how that works. I want to write a core graphics book that helps people understand how core graphics work. Again, assuming that you're already really familiar with programming. So it's not that you want to understand programming. It's that you want to understand what's a bitmap and how does that Bezier curve turn from this nice, simple geometric representation I have in my CG path into bits in this bitmap. And anyway, so, right, so I have this whole series of stuff in my head that I want to write. And, uh, 
you know, so I think the red pill flows well, that idea or that the red pill, meaning you're diving deep into something. And I thought that C really jumped out and said, Hey, let's do this. So, so that's the red pill reference from the matrix. I'm, yes. I'm assuming, although you may not want to be able to say that for copyright reasons. So it's yeah. nothing to do with anything. It's just happens nothing. to be a red pill, yeah, but you're exactly. going to write a whole series of books called the red pill series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, well, that's the idea, right? And that's, I've already started, I've got a couple of different outlines and someone on the, on the chat room here is saying that cortex is the new hotness and I should do something about cortex as well. And uh, my hope is that cortex becomes not nearly as important because there's a uh, wonderful abstract, you know, NS text equivalent on on UIKit. Not that I, you know, I don't know anything about that. Everything I knew about from my time at Apple has already been published. So everything I knew is already out there in the public. So I'm just guesstimating, but that's my hope. Sort of licking my finger and sticking it to the wind is that core text is going to become a uh, a necessary backend piece of technology for something that's much simpler to use, like NS text is on uh, on the Mac. Cool. So you, as we said, you self publish this book. Um, mm-hmm. It's only available. I'm right in saying it's only available in iBooks, isn't it? Exactly, and it's actually only iPad because it's interactive. Okay. So and it's um, so. Did you author this in iBooks author? I did. Okay, so explain the experience. Pleasure or pain, a bit of both? So lots of pleasure and a few intermittent areas of pain. So I started writing the book immediately after iBooks was released. And then I got pulled aside on some stuff and, and wasn't able to work on it much. So the first six weeks or so after it came out, I was working about an hour a day on the book. And the actual writing process in terms of getting the text into the book was a piece of cake and no issues at all. It was, it was exactly like using pages and, uh, you know, so it was just typing. Um, the, the hard thing was the interactives. So in addition to having all the text that I have in the book, I have a bunch of code examples that have, um, instead of having a paragraph that says, notice on line one, I do X and notice on line two, I tell you to do Y and whatever, right? So instead of having that as separate from the code, I have it integrated in the code. So you can tap on the individual lines of code and up pops some message that says, you know, this is really groovy stuff and this is why. Um, those interactives were really hard to get into the, into the book uh, in that first version. And then they shipped like a dot one or a dot oh one um, release. And that fixed a lot of the bugs that were really irritating. And then, um, and then it came down to, there were a few things that I was trying to do that were uh, more graphical with SVG and animating SVG stuff. And that was, that proved too problematic to actually put in the book. And I didn't get time to circle back to it because I dropped that whole, um, I was going to do some instruments type stuff and talk about memory usage and everything. And I ended up dropping that because the SVG uh, animation stuff was problematic. Um, I assume that with iBooks 2 being out now that that's probably fixed and several of the radars that I filed, I got back, you know, are now in red on radar saying, please look. Um, So I should, you know, actually go back and circle around and make sure those are fixed. But mostly it was fantastic. Uh, Partially, there were a few things that were a pain in the neck, but for the most part, it was great. So um, the, the writing process was, was on the whole good. What about the actual publishing process, going through the iBook store and, and everything like that? Yeah, pretty similar to um, the, the App Store and, and everything else, or yeah, any, any major differences? 
So it was the the only thing that was a pain about that is I had to set up a separate uh, Apple ID for the books than for my apps. So that I thought was a little bit odd, and I guess there's some something going on where those two accounts can't have the same stack of stuff or something. I don't know why, but um, I thought that was odd. Uh, but the process itself was even easier than it, than at least the last time I shipped an app um, on my own, where I you know you click a button in iBooks Author saying publish, and it walks you through the process using uh, one of Apple's uh, tools that will push that out to their store and. I don't know, I think it was like two weeks later. So it's a little bit longer lead time, but two weeks later, my book was on the store. So it was, uh, yeah, it was relatively painless. And uh, it, I I did have a couple of weird things that I messed up because I didn't understand the like all the questions that it asks you in terms of what stores do you want it on. And I thought I had put it on every store worldwide, and I somehow missed, I don't know, what like a third of them. I was 18 out of 40 that I missed. And I don't know if that was because they had come online after the time that I submitted the book or what, what happened there. But anyway, so I finally turned that on, and it's taking a couple of weeks now for them to go through it. I guess they have to reapprove the book to go into those other bookstores. So so, so that's my uh, my next question. So there's an approval process for, for, for iBooks. So, I mean, you know, in an app, it says things like you mustn't use, you know, um, private APIs and you know and, and it's it's a checking for sort of things like that I was about to say very clear things but that's not quite true checking for things like that you know so what what does the approval process for a book involve that you have to comply with so some interesting things that have bitten uh, my buddy Daniel uh, that I teach with he has done several books as well and he got bitten early on because he had a link to a book that's out of print that you could get used copies of in Amazon. And he didn't figure it mattered because it was a, uh, uh, an out of print book, but Apple rejected his book because of that. And, uh, told because, him no. because it had a link to something where you could purchase something right outside of the, outside the book. So, uh, I just made sure that any links that I had in the book pointed to Apple documentation <laughs> on developer.apple.com. And, uh, I didn't have any issues with it. So, you know, there's it, people like to cuss and scream and shake their fist about Apple's approval process. And yeah, there are some things that are frustrating with it, but at the end of the day, I can give my nine-year-old girl an iPhone and an, an iTunes gift card and for the most part, I can be pretty sure that she's not going to end up with something disgusting that I will have to deprogram her from. So as a, as a parent, I'm pretty happy with it, and I'm able to uh, sort of take the frustrating bits with a grain of salt because I see the greater good, or it seems to me to be greater good, of having that approval process. So, you know, I don't, I don't have anything really negative to say about it. That's cool. And uh, so the, the financials, 30% just like everywhere else? Yep, yep. So they take 30% and I get 70 And uh, yeah, it's uh, in terms of a distribution network, you know, that Pragmatic Programmers has a much better distribution network and, uh, and so forth. So they sell a lot more copies than, uh, than you sell through the iBook store. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's that many people who need this book anyway and I just wanted to write it because it's something I've always wanted to to get done and I think there's people who really need it um, and uh, so 
Yeah, it's I th- and I think over time too, it's going to be more of a destination as there becomes more content like mine that's short, focused on a particular thing. Um, I think it will be more of a go-to place than um, you know with. Barnes and Noble going away and Amazon being the only player in town is going to be the only place left to, to go. That's not Amazon. Yeah. I mean, I have to be totally honest. It's, um, you know, I've, I'm on my iPad. Um, I'm looking at your book. It wasn't hard to find it on my bookshelf on the, um, iBook, uh, store or the iBooks app because it was the only one in there. Um, because I, I have to say, I'm still not personally at the place that when I'm, I'm looking for a book, um, that's where I go. I don't go to the iBook store. I, I, I'm a Kindle user, so I, you know, like to use the Kindle app on my iPad, and I have a Kindle physical pin Kindle as well. Um, but I guess as books like this, with the more interactive content, um, and um, if it's okay with you, um, can I post a picture of um, a screen capture from my uh, iPad of one of the interactive bits of content working, so people can see what that's about? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With the, with the interactive content and you know, and, and stuff coming along, I think maybe as people get the idea that that you know, this isn't a book. It's a, it's 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 a book with extra material. I don't know what you're going to call that. Um, you know, and that can only really be done through the um, the iBook store. Maybe it will become more of a first port of call as opposed to, oh, it's only available over there. Yes, and I really think it. Um I really think that what it's going to shine at is, um, I don't know what the right way to say this is. So I, I don't know if you remember back on the day that iBooks launched, they had E.O. Wilson's book on biology and it was beautiful. It had all these amazing interactive elements in it that actually taught something. They weren't just eye candy that had, you know, blinky red text. It was beautiful things that actually teach you stuff. They have a really cool interactive in there that takes a cell and pulls it apart and you tap on it and it switches between showing you the lipids and the, uh, the proteins and the carbohydrates. And there was one other element in there. So as you tap through, it switches back and forth and it shows you how the proteins that make up the cell wall, how they interact with each other to hold the cell together. And that's, you know, one, it's cool. It looks beautiful. And it actually teaches you something, right? So that I think is just awesome and beautiful. And I think that's where books need to go. I think on the flip side, the other stuff that they showed, the algebra book from, you know, I'm an old 600-year-old publishing company and I don't even understand a computer, those algebra books are also sold on iBooks, but they're horrible, right? They're flat, they're boring, they're the same stupid algebra that was taught when Isaac Newton came up with calculus. So those books I think will hopefully go away. And what we'll see is this, you know, awesome, this emergence of these awesome, beautifully interactive books. And I think especially for technical stuff like this, you know, programming or one of my professors from school, I still keep in touch with over email and, and uh, get to interact with him every once in a while on the phone and whatever. Um, my degree is in aerospace engineering. He teaches structural mechanics. So he wants to build an interactive book that lets people put in the physical properties of some property or of some uh, material like aluminum or whatever and allow the people who are taking his class to be able to interact with it and say, okay, what happens if I make this beam half as thick? 
and I still have this load of this truck driving over this bridge. Is it going to collapse? Right? And, and in real time, do, do finite element analysis and visualize it through OpenGL in an interactive book. Like, that doesn't suck. That would be really, really effective, I think, in helping people understand stuff to have the text explaining the theory of how it works and then show an interactive graphic of a 10,000-pound truck driving over a bridge, and if I shave 500 pounds off the steel in this bridge, does it still hold up? Um, so anyway, so I think that's, that's hopefully where things are headed is to that really cool interactive book. And I have, you know, I said earlier I have this Red Pill series. I haven't come up with a name yet, but I also want to do a series of books to teach kids how to, how to program. And I want to start with something really simple that has tons of interactive stuff, you know, and, and, and show kids how, what a byte is, what a bit is, how you turn it off and on um, in an interactive way so that they can tap on a screen and see stuff change immediately. Um, a lot of those ideas come from, I don't know if you follow Worry Dream, uh, his blog, he has some epic stuff, but he had a really cool discussion on how to teach people programming. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's just really cool. And I think he has a lot of great ideas. It's, um, I think that there's a, we're at the beginning of a, um, a medium here, aren't we? I mean, obviously, we produce video at iDeveloper TV, and some people love video, some people struggle with video. And you could argue that video is, you know, it's visual and it's the best way of getting everything over, but sometimes there's something very powerful about the written word or, or a simple diagram. And I think learning to, you know, having the opportunity to use the best medium to explain something or demonstrate something right at the point and all at the same time in a convenient place is, is going to change the way we do everything and and I don't think we've grasped it yet I don't think anyone's you know most of us in the world are not thinking that way yet and yet you know that's got to be the way things go yeah and I think it's also it's really important that the same material be available in a bunch of different formats so you know like the great series you guys did on core data Awesome. It's also important, though, that, that Marx's book is available because some people, like you said, don't learn through video. They learn through doing uh, reading a book, right? And so I think it's really important that the same material be available in all these different mediums because you're going to, you know, sometimes I want to read a book because I want to know some detailed technical mumbo jumbo. Other times I want to watch a video. And it's, it's really interesting learning Ruby on Rails. So I, one of the things I want to do long-term is I want to build this app that I don't want to talk about yet, but I want to build this app and it needs a server component. And, you know, I did Java for a long time. I could probably go back and build some J2EE thing, whatever. Uh, but I've forgotten all that Java stuff and I don't want to relearn it. And so I've been doing Ruby on Rails through um, uh, several different uh, online video things like uh, uh, Railscast and Code TV and whatever. And it's awesome being on the other side. If I have no clue what's going on, could someone please teach me how this Ruby on Rails stuff works? And uh, it, it has been interesting thinking through all this stuff about how to teach people and being the student myself and watching these videos. Um, it has just been, it's been really cool. And I see places where they break down and I see places where they're really good. And uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm a big fan of having 
the whole gamut of, of stuff being available to people so that people can go to the platform where they learn best. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, what's 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 happening over the next uh, a few. I mean, you you you've just used iBooks Author uh, to write this, yeah, which is effectively like a, a keynote. Do you think? Um, you, and you've published this book yourself. Now, traditionally, books will have an editor. Did you have an editor? Did you get yourself an editor for this book? So I I I got my wife, who's amazing. <laughs> okay, that's good. And, so, and, and, one person in the world who you know will be honest and blunt with you about how rubbish something is exactly. um, as well exactly. um, so uh, is this is there a blockage here by the fact that the yeah, I know there are many many publishers out there that you know they, they still work totally in Microsoft Word for example which is, right. is to me one of the worst things to write any long document in of any form in the world. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work for me in any way at all. And I know, I, I know several people have had to write books in Microsoft Word who have, you know, almost lost the will to live in doing so. <laughs> yes. And it wasn't, it wasn't the book. It was the tool set. So, so do you think our, you know, one of the reasons that this medium is, is, is going to take a little while to get going is because actually the traditional publishers are just in no way you know, going to be geared up to, to actually manage this type of release. Absolutely. And I think that the traditional publisher um, is dead. I mean, I don't see how they can possibly uh, get it. So, and I think there's a whole bunch of stuff that's moving around this. And maybe some of them will survive and adapt, but they have built organically over some of them 500 years, 400 years, I don't know how long they've been printing books, but for a very long time, they have an organic process where the, the digital stuff is, is eroding their market, but they have a bunch of infighting going on to keep peop- for people to keep their turf. So I don't know. I mean, I look at that, the whole model, and they just don't get it. They don't have people who understand interactive design at all. They don't have people, you know, they probably have people who understand typesetting really well, but they just don't get making stuff that's dynamic, that's focused on teaching people. Um, so, so it's going so to be interesting to see if we get a, a, the raising of a, of a you know, a, a publishing industry part two, because, I mean, as you said yourself, that, you know, pragmatic programmers, I, I guess they're not a, they're not, they, you know, they're a very modern traditional publisher, if you know what I mean. You know, yes. they're, they're far more up to date in what they do and have a far more open and modern um, approach to what they're doing. Um, but you know, one of the things you said about them, because you've written books for them as well, is you know they have a long reach. You know, the books that you put out mm-hmm. through them get into a lot of places and and sell far more copies. And and yeah. so you know, yeah, let's face it, that's one of the reasons people use publishers. Um, yeah, it, oh, it, it is to do that. I know there's other support and that they give as well. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so you know, are we going to go through a period now of you know it's you know back to almost every every man or woman for themselves? It's going to become almost impossible to find anything in, in, until some new system of, of of you know getting things out there works. Yeah. So it's a really interesting question. So I think if there's going to be someone who survives it it's going to be pragmatic programmers and others who are trying to copy them. Um, because, so what I love about pragmatic programmers is they're very um, open to doing crazy stuff, publishing books that probably only 10 people really want to read and, you know, whatever. They're just, they're fantastic. And they're so much fun to work with. Their process is awesome. So, um, 
they will survive. People like pra- pragmatic programmers definitely will survive, and people like them will survive. But I think for for the the and I don't like to build interactive books. What you're really doing is building an app that just happens to be written in JavaScript, CSS, and HTML, and it has a prose-heavy component. And so I think that the best ones are going to come from people who have designers on staff who can help design great interactive content around um, whatever the topic is. You know, I mean, imagine if I had had iBooks author to write my core animation book. Like I think about that a lot. How much cooler would it have been to just show and ease out animation than it would be to spend a paragraph mumbling around about how interpolation works, which is not how people are going to learn what an ease out means anyway. So you know what I'm saying? Like there's a there there's definitely a, a place for an industry around helping authors come up with good ways to graphically represent their data. But I don't know that anybody like the traditional publishing houses, Prentice Hall and whatever else, they're just so totally dazed and confused in that space. They have no way to go into that. Um, so anyway, I, I sort of get on a soapbox there and start ranting about that, but um, you know, it's, I don't think there's much chance. So um, the question from the chat room is, did you involve a web designer or some sort of designer um, for any other elements other than the um, the cover for like the, the, the um, interactive stuff in any way at all? I did, yes. Actually, I hired a designer to help me with um, coming up with how those interactives should work. And I started with, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm always ranting about not shipping programmer art. So what I started with was I built a... Uh, an approach that I use often in Keynote. I built that into a, uh, a movie, and then I shipped that off to the designer that I hired and said, this is the approach, this is sort of the concept of what I want to do, is I want to have this set of these three lines highlighted, and I want to have some way to put this text on And I just did it the way that I would do it in Keynote. Sent that to the designer, and then the designer said, hey, here's what I think um, we should do. And, uh, and so then we iterated over that for a little while, and then that's when we landed on um, what's in the book. Now, we, we had talked a little bit further beyond what I was able to get in the book and actually wrote a Mac app to build those widgets with. And uh, I wasn't able to get the Mac app to do the final piece that the designer came up with, uh, but I will. And uh, the, the next book that I do is going to have the stuff from... Um, the final piece from the designer. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed working. Having someone who actually knows interactive design and understood enough about type and books that they could follow my idea, what I wanted to do, understand where I was headed with it, and then help me come up with a plan to, to pull that off. This is going to, um, I mean, obviously, this has turned into a little bit of, um, you know, I publish a live as opposed to I develop a live. But um, <laughs> I, I find it interesting as a content producer. And so people in the chat room, people listening on the feeds, uh, if we've bored you senseless with this stuff, I do apologize. Um, yeah, this is yeah, just just treat it as a personal chat between me, me and Bill. And, uh, you, we just, you happen to be sat next to us or something. Um, so uh, it's going to be uh, interesting that 
you know, so so maybe it's not going to be the traditional publishers that take this forward because there's video, because there's web development, uh, because there's writing, because there's all sorts of things. You know, any part of that industry might be the ones who get this right first. Yes, and I think that's totally where things are. I think what will happen is there are there are all these people with pent up energy inside these these crafty old publishing houses that are, you know, fresh out of school or been out of school for five years or whatever, they have enough experience in the industry to see how the inside works, but they know that there's so much more that could be done. And I think there's someone brewing right now that is contemplating bailing from the the crufty old traditional publishing house and moving out and building something that's got video production. It's got, you know, the whole stack of stuff that builds content in a way that people can digest it in the way that they learn best. Um, you know, I mean, even traditional, uh, video people like, uh, lynda.com or, uh, Kelby training, both of them have huge catalogs of great content, tons of really cool stuff. But again, I think those, you know, we talked about that top up, top down, bottom up approach to learning all of those video oriented services, do a fantastic job of top-down. What's really hard to convey in a video is the bottom-up piece. And I think that's where a book fits really well. So you do you do books with dense, detailed, technical content bottom-up, and you do videos to provide the motivation. Now, maybe there's a good case to be made that, you know, at the end of the day, the way people will learn best is to have all of that content in one place. In, in an iBook where there's video content at the beginning of every chapter and it says here's the big picture of what we're going to do in this chapter and you're going to be a much smarter and brighter person at the end of this chapter because you know this information. Then you dive down into the guts of how that works in the text, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it, it does. I mean, we we here, we're constantly looking at what what's out there. I mean, we, we make video, um, but, you know, we're looking at iBooks author, we're looking at, um, you know, a, a newsstand and all sorts of things because, yeah, we can't sit here just, video is, um, almost as, uh, uh, you know, an out of date technology probably is, 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 is just books in its own right. If we're not careful, it'll be very easy for us to sit here and think, um, you know, think, oh, well, we're, we're not a publisher and we're ahead of the game. But, you know, anyone who publishes content needs to be looking forward right now. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I mean, and you look at you look at other stuff where people where there's educational content, and I you know like you like to talk about publishing, and I like to talk about education. And um, if that's getting boring, everyone just tell me to be quiet about it. But if you look at what's going on in the education space, there's things like Udacity and Coursera and all these other startups that can't that are coming out of Silicon Valley right now from these Stanford professors who taught. One of the some of the first massively online open classes, MOOCs, I guess is what they're calling them. Anyway, they they went out and had 180,000 people take the uh, the class on uh, uh, what's it called uh, artificial intelligence. So everybody jumped up out of their seat saying, "Oh, we have to build companies around this idea." What they have, though, I don't. I mean, I've gone through a couple of them, and I think there's some interesting thing there. But again, there's that whole thing of of the top down bottom-up, the content that they're trying to deliver is very much bottom-up, right? They start with these very abstract, very detailed ideas and try to flesh them out. Um, And I think it's difficult to do that over video, especially if it's just a talking head the whole time. So 
anyway. There, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of those. Well, Bill, that's been um, yeah, a fascinating conversation from, from my point of view. Um, before I sort of close us down, is there uh, anything on, on this subject that uh, you know, you've you been sat there thinking, come on, you need to ask this, and uh, <laughs> you know, but I've been too stupid to ask it? No, no. I mean, it's been a great conversation. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I love to prattle on about this stuff. So if anybody else wants to talk about it sometime, I'd be happy to grab a beer and sit down and talk about it at uh, a conference or something sometime. Ah, oh, now which conference might that be very soon, Bill? <laughs> well, so I have uh, a planning this Renaissance conference, and then uh, I'm coming to the UK, and uh, yeah, so there's all sorts of cool stuff. Excellent. The UK is NS Conference. I'm allowed to say that now. Uh-huh. So there we are. We're looking forward awesome. to seeing Bill at NS Conference this year. First time back since NS Conference number one in 2009. I know. I cannot wait. It's going to be so much fun. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be really cool. I'm trying to work out getting my family over again. We'll see if I'm able to pull that off. But um, yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm totally stoked. Excellent. Well, Bill, just remind everybody um, where they can find information about you: Twitter, App.net, um, your blog, any of that stuff. Sure. So I'm B Dudney on both App.net and Twitter, and I'm Bill.Dudney.net for my blog. Um, and then you can always send me an email, which is my Twitter handle at Mac.com if you have questions. And uh, anyway, it's fantastic. Thanks, Scotty. It's, uh, it's been really good to speak to you again, uh, Bill. It's been, it's been too long. Chat room, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for um, some uh, interesting questions and thank you for some totally irrelevant chat in the background as ever. That um, yeah, wouldn't be the same without watching you totally ignore us. Um, Hopefully uh, next week, um, what's that, the 18th next week, I think it is, the 17th, I don't know, whatever day it is next week, um, we have a very special show lined up where we will be gathering a number of uh, iOS and um, OS ten developer podcasters together for an end-of-year Christmas festive special that will probably be an absolute chaotic disaster, but we're going to have a go anyway. So uh, that's it. Thank you very much for listening in this week. Um, until next time, you take care. Thank you.